Moses discovered the key of obedience, so he built an altar. And so did many others on many other occasions over the course of time. And finally, God built an altar for himself. He made it out of wood, and it was called a cross. The cross is an altar because Jesus died, a sacrificial death there for the sins of the whole world. Altars are places of sacrifice. The children of Israel initially had to bring a perfect lamb to offer as a sacrifice on the altar, and, and offerings were made for the sins of the whole community. Down through the years, they maintained that sacrificial system. One day, however, John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he connected all the prophetic dots and the animal sacrifices of worship of Yahweh and what he personally knew about the miraculous birth of the Messiah. And in John 1.29, he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The writer to Hebrews tells us that Jesus sacrificed for our sins once and for all. God accepted that sacrifice. See, God wanted and, and needed an altar, and the, and the cross was a suitable altar on which the Lamb of God could be slain for all the sins of the world. The cross became that altar for you and for me. But the purpose of the cross is not just to be an altar. The purpose of the cross is also to be a gate. A gate or a door represents a place of authority, a place of entry. And Because man was separated from God because of sin and there was a need for someone to bridge that gap, we discover that God made a plan. I don't know about you, but I, I love to read what Jesus says about himself because that gives me an idea of what I'm to be looking for in my own life. And one of the great statements in the book of John, one of the great I am statements of the book of John is where Jesus declared, I am the door. I'm the way. Outside of the cross, man could not come into the things that God had prepared for him. This sacrifice on the cross means that we can step into the things that God has prepared for us. Because God did not only just die on a cross for our eternal life, but according to the scriptures, in John 10.10, he came and he died so that we might have abundant life here and now. He didn't call, he didn't die for us to live a broken down life. The door is open and there's so much that he wants us to enter into, and it all comes from the cross. Finally, the purpose of the cross is one where it's about a covenant. Just prior to the cross, on the occasion that the Lord Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper, communion, it says this in Luke twenty-two twenty, And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The purpose of the cross was to make a way that the blood that was shed on the cloth would, cloth would, uh, cross would, would bind us together 
with an understanding. There was an exchange for our sins, for Christ's righteousness, our brokenness for his wholeness. And with the new covenant, he made us free from the old covenant. The cross is the most recognizable religious symbol in the world. And it's no wonder. Christ's work on the cross is the most potent expression of love the world has ever known. What's the purpose of the cross? To show us God's love. And tonight as we gather on this Good Friday, our purpose in gathering here together is one to be together as one. But it's to put ourselves in remembrance that God is not looking for uniformity. He's looking for one-heartedness. And the only way you can be a one heart is when you focus on the cross and what Jesus has done. Tonight we want to take time to consider the great work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And tonight we're going to do something, if you've come over the years, we've never done this before, what we're about to do tonight. So it's something fresh for our hearts and our minds to grab a hold of. Together we're going to go on a journey to reflect on the cross of Christ, knowing full well that from this point in history, that Sunday and resurrection is coming, but we're not going to go there yet. We're just going to stay on Friday. Is that okay? So don't let your mind wander. (laughs) Jesus had a journey that we can view from the scriptures and reflect on here tonight. Now, all of us in this room, we come from different traditions. We all come from different places of understanding, different experiences that we've had in worship. And we're not trying to put anybody in anybody else's theological box or practice. But what we're trying to do tonight is see. Our prayer is, I believe from the Holy Spirit, that we would see something as we journey through the stations of the cross. This past year, I had the privilege to tour Jerusalem and Israel, but Jerusalem and we walked the stations of the cross. From our tradition, that's never been a primary point of worship. But I I quickly converted. Because you, being on the ground or seeing what you see, you think, Lord, thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for doing that for me. So tonight we're going to take a reflective journey through the stations of the cross to help us remember what our Lord and Savior did on our behalf. And they're going to move fairly quickly through. But I want you to have hearts that are open, eyes to see, ears to hear, what the Spirit is saying to the church. It was early Friday morning when at last I saw my son. That was the first glimpse I'd had of him since they took him away. The deep side of his bruised and bloody wounds sent a pain shooting deep into my heart, and I could feel my tears burning on my cheeks. Pilate, from his judgment chair, spoke out, 
to the crowd, but around me they just shouted, crucify him. Pilate said, why don't you listen to me? This cannot be what you want. It cannot be what's right. But the crowd just erupted in response, crucify him. Fine, but I wash my hands of this. His blood is on you. I know this man is innocent. Regaining a little of my strength, I walked with the crowd to the entrance of the square. A door flew open, and my son stumbled out, and the guards were laughing behind him. I watched as they stripped him, draped him in a scarlet robe with a crown of thorns on his head, only to mock him. The soldier said, Long live the king of the Jews. Two men dragged over a heavy wooden cross and dropped it across his shoulders. Then they shoved him down the road. My pain for him was immense. I wanted to take the cross for him and carry it myself. But I knew this burden only he could bear. So all I could do was walk, walk along with him. I followed closely beside my son as he stumbled towards Calvary. Nothing had ever hurt me more than to see him in such pain. I knew the cross was digging into his shoulders. My heart dropped when I saw him fall face to the ground with the heavy cross landing squarely on his back. For a moment, I thought my beloved son was dead. My whole body began to tremble. Then the guard kicked him. He rose slowly and began to walk again, yet they still whipped him. I wanted to protect him with my own body, but I knew I could not interfere. I had finally managed to break through the crowd and was walking side by side with my son. I called out to him through the shouting voices. He stopped. Our eyes met. Mine full of tears and anguish, his full of pain. I felt so utterly helpless, but then something in his gaze changed. He looked almost supportive as if he knew what was, he was right. I needed to be strong. I followed along and prayed for him. I could see now almost completely helplessness on the face of my son as he tried to carry this heavy load. Each step he took looked as if it would be his last. I felt his every pain in my heart and I wanted the whole thing to end. I noticed a commotion near Jesus. A man had been pulled from the crowd and made to help carry my son's load. I heard him question the guard. Simon said, I am Simon, the Cyrenian. I'm a working man of the country. I was returning to the city hot and exhausted from working when I was pulled from my path and shoved into this. I'm a burly man, and I'm often expected to perform the tough, heavy work, but something happened to me when I picked up that cross. I looked into the eyes of the criminal and I saw that he had been tortured and was ready to collapse. Yet, 
there was a fire in his eyes, not a fire of rebellion against those who had condemned him, but the fire of a willing purpose, almost as if it was he who was choosing his fate. Yet he had no choice. I looked again at his face, the face of a simple, humble, hardworking, unknown person with whom I live and work. This man was one of us. He was just like me. This man was no criminal. He smiled at me. His eyes spoke to me of peace and hope. Even in that wretched spot where others yelled and cursed him, he tried to speak. I feel perhaps a, a word of encouragement to me. A soldier hit me in the back telling me to hurry up. I couldn't believe this man was trying to encourage me. I, who was speeding him on his way to death, I didn't understand. I picked up the cross and I followed. I sensed something that this man was leading me in a much longer journey than the one that we took that day. I did follow him. I'm not always sure why, but I will continue to carry his cross. As I continued close by Jesus, a woman pushed past the guards, took off her veil, a simple plain cloth, and began to wipe my son's brow. That was all she had to give him for support, but she gave it to him completely. The guards pulled her back, and I could see her pleading with them to explain why was this happening. They gave her no response, but I knew why, so I walked on in faith. My son fell. I thought that I would explode with his grief. This agony was my agony. He was now almost to the top of the hill. The soldiers screamed at him and almost dragged him the last few steps. I started to move towards him, but they stopped me. Seeing my son fall, get up again, and continue on was bitter anguish to me. My heart pounded as I imagined what they would do next. I heard my son say something to a small group of women. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. What do you mean, do not weep for you? How can we not weep for you? You are so bruised and beaten, and yet you are still thinking of us. We will always remember the children. I will always love you. Oh, my son, I can see you can stand no more. You have reached the point of no return. You have reached Golgotha. I cannot bear to think of what will happen next. No one should have to endure what you have endured, let alone a blameless person, one who has done only good. My God, why have you let this happen to my son? Jesus, forgive me for my mother's love. With my son finally relieved of the weight of the cross, I thought he would have a chance to rest. But the guards immediately started ripping at his clothes. And all I could think of, will this ever end? A soldier said, my orders are to get you ready. 
you are going to be completely humiliated and disgraced. You're going to be a shameful, naked spectacle all alone. The soldiers took his clothing for themselves and gambled over the pieces they could not split. They showed him no mercy or dignity. The soldier said to the other soldiers, We should not tear it. Let us throw dice to see who gets it. Then the soldier said to Jesus, Believe me when I tell you that you are going to die in agony. Your fathers are surely a fickle bunch. They're here when it's comfortable, but not today, huh? Where are they now, O king of Jews? I was dumbfounded by their ignorance. How could they be so cruel? Their inhumanity disgusted me. The sight of my son in such pain and humiliation was unbearable. And yet all I could do was cry for him. Helplessly, I watched my son go limp and succumb to their strength and demands. He willingly allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. As they punctured his hands and feet, I felt every sting in my soul. Then they raised up the cross. There he was, my son, whom I loved so very much, being scorned and ridiculed as he struggled through the last of his earthly life. The first thief said, King of the Jews, oh really, prove it. Save yourself and us while you're at it. The second thief said, don't mock him. Don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve this. But all he ever did was offer hope and love to all people. I need this man. I've needed him my whole life. I just didn't know it. Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Oh, my Jesus, I hate to see you suffer. I wish this would end. If only my pain could somehow relieve yours. Can anyone know a mother's suffering and seeing her own son cruelly punished as a criminal? You tried to prepare me for this moment. My son, you taught me by your life how I must accept your death. I remember when you were 12, reminding me that your life belonged not to me, not to you, but to your father. So many times you sacrificed your privacy, your energy, you worked to heal, to save. That was the beginning. I see now of the final sacrifice all these years so many things have confused me and made me question but now in this most painful moment i begin to understand jesus what are you saying i can barely hear you forgive forgive them father yes forgive them father i should not be surprised at that so many times I heard you say, forgive them. You told us to love our enemies, to forgive them. But it is the most difficult thing you ask us to do. And yet, how can I do less when you are so willing? You forgive these men who are killing you because they know not what they are doing. 
oh Jesus, they are blind. They are deaf. They need healing. Maybe somehow in forgiving them, that healing begins. I think it's nearly over now. You are so silent, only gasping for breath. I pray that your suffering will end soon. I will wait. How can I leave you now? I will wait here until it is finished. And then, my precious son, I will take you into my arms once more. Know that I will always love you. I believe Jesus is our Savior and has opened the door to new life. Because of his undying love, you and I can now rejoice in what waits for us. Through his death, our spirit is reborn. Everyone who believes in him has eternal love in life. This much I know. Joseph took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. And he rolled the great stone to the door of the tomb and departed. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the sepulchre. Good to see the body of Christ together. Amen. Well, y'all, today is Good Friday. I don't know how it's good. You know, the video talked about that for a moment. I mean, it's not good that a Savior would hang on a cross. It's not good that God, the very God of very gods, would hang on a cross. But we call it good. Now, actually, I'll, I'll give you the explanation. It's, it's actually Old English. Uh, in Old English, the word good actually meant holy, set apart. Today is a holy day. We're here to worship the living God together. Um, I'm going to be reading out of uh, one verse um, because I don't have much time and I'm not going to take much of yours. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll have it on the wall, and we're all going to read it together in just a few moments. But I want to set up the stage, you see, because uh, the city of Corinth had problems. If you've read 1 or 2 Corinthians, you know there are lots of problems going on in the city of Corinth. Now, it's a city that was a port city, and it was a very important port city. Because this, the, the boats would come through there, and they'd actually take the boats apart and go over the little isthmus so that they didn't have to travel around the horn. And then it was so much safer for those traveling. So it had problems like other port cities. We might even liken it to San Francisco. There were a lot of problems in Corinth. And the very first problem that Paul decided he needed to deal with, remember Paul, the apostle, the guy that was uh, never with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. And I got to tell you, I got to ask the question, I hope and pray that you've had an encounter with Jesus that has changed your life forever. Amen. Well, Paul had that encounter. 
Paul had that encounter, and he was going to address the issues one at a time as he's writing to this church. And the first issue, the very first thing that he has to encounter as he's approaching this church is, hey, y'all, you're not united. You know what united churches do? They build the kingdom. Y'all, we're doing a little kingdom building tonight. Amen. So, so Paul writes, and I love this. Paul writes, hey, y'all, sorry, I lived in the South just long enough. <laughs> All y'all, they, thank you, pastor, my brother. <laughs> Paul says, uh, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, hey, some of you are saying this. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Some of you are saying, I follow Apollo. Some of them are even saying, I follow Cephas. By the way, that's Peter. And then others are saying, <laughs> y'all can follow whomever you want. I, I'm going to follow Jesus. And Paul's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the right word, right, Rick? But you know, the problem is, they weren't following Jesus. They were following them their own ways. When the church comes together, there's serious kingdom business going on. And in this room tonight, Y'all don't, if you're from South Valley, you're not following Pastor Matt. If you're from Abundant Life, you're not following Bob. You're not following, uh, if you're from Hillside Dory in Bruce. If you're from the Presbyterian Church, or uh, I always forget the name now. I, I haven't even lived here that long. Christ Fellowship. Does anybody else call it First Presbyterian all the time? Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mike. God bless you. We're not following you anyway. We're here to do some kingdom business tonight. And we're going to open up God's word, and we're going to read it together. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand. Can we bring up that slide? There should be one slide and one slide only, and I'm going to pray that it comes up. If not, um, we're going to keep moving on because uh, uh, I promised you I would, wouldn't take much of my time. I'm not going to take much of yours. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to stand, and I'm going to read it, and you all can uh, follow along. That's why I brought my Bible. This is uh, God's word coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18 and only 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness, say foolishness, foolishness. to those who are perishing. Well, you can say that too. I just wanted you to say foolishness. <laughs> but those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Say power of God. Now, all I got to do is high-five one person and tell them we are one church, and then have a seat. It's all good, it's all good, it's all good. Foolishness. Paul is, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's helping us connect the dots. Sometimes we need the dots connected. Anybody ever do those little drawings when you were kids? Man, I thought I was an artist <laughs> after I drew the little dog connecting the little dots. I need the dots connected sometimes. Paul was connecting the dots. He was connecting the dots between the way they were and the way things were. Because in Proverbs, they talk about the foolish people and the folly that they do. And the foolish people, they look to the cross and they don't get it. In those days... If you were Jewish, the cross was a stumbling block. If, in those days, in Paul's days, if, 
if, if you were uh, part of um, the rest of the world, the rest of the world, you know, there were Jews and then there was everybody else, right? Well, everybody else, they thought it was foolishness. They didn't get it, and guess what? Things are not any different today. People look to the cross and they don't get it. Um, so there's this throwback to Proverbs. What, what, what's the, the juxtaposition? What's, what are the two camps in, in Proverbs? You're either after seeking God through knowledge and through wisdom, or you're seeking your own folly. Well, we live in a world that loves its own folly. And I'm going to call them a certain name. I'm going to call them Friday people. Friday people, because guess what? Friday people, they're obsessed with fun. They're obsessed with whatever pleasure that they can seek after themselves. Friday people look to the cross and they don't get it. Because when they look to the cross, they don't see their own sin. They look to the cross and they see things that they like because they like their own sin. And here's a little truth that you probably might not necessarily always say this on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to tell you the truth right now. You probably like your sin too. But the reality is, I hope as a believer of Jesus Christ, the cross convicts you of your sin. That's part of the power of it. It makes you turn to the one that overcame the cross. There are Friday people in the world, and there are Sunday people in the world. <laughs> yes, Sunday people. Thank you for the little shout-out. <laughs> but even if you're a Sunday person, we live in a Friday world. And the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those Friday people, man, I want to tell them, but they don't get it. They don't get the fact that on Friday, my Savior hung on a cross, dead, by all measurements. Side pierced, but that was Friday. It was Friday, and the Pharisees thought that they saved Israel again. No thanks necessary. But that was Friday. It was Friday, and Satan thought that he had won. You know that Satan cannot see time the way God sees time. Satan, in those moments when Jesus was pushed into the tomb and the rock had been rolled into the way of God himself, Satan thought he had won. But that was only Friday. It's Friday, and the disciples thought that they had lost everything they'd worked for for three years. And so they deserted Jesus. But that was, that was Friday. It was Friday, and sin had no Savior. But that was Friday. You guys know the answer to this, right? Because Sunday's coming. You know the power of the cross? For those who are perishing, the power of the cross is death. Now, here's the problem. And I, okay, th I'm holding a microphone. This is going to be a little bit odd for you to see. If you were to picture the scales of justice with good on one side and bad on the other, this is what our Friday people think about sin. Good, a little heavier, 
and the bad, we're okay. Because that's what they think sin does. They think that sin makes you a bad person. No, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says sin leads to death. No, it doesn't make you bad. It makes you dead. I'm not sure how that's funny, but I'll listen to the story a little bit later. (laughs) For those who are perishing, it reminds them of their sin. And unfortunately, they like their sin, and so they don't run away from their sin. They don't see the purpose of the cross. They don't see the power of the cross. But for those of us who believe, the power of the cross for a Christian in Good Friday is that the spirit of repentance comes upon us. It is very important, if not annually, maybe weekly, the power of the cross says, I'm a sinner. And I can't, the scales of justice are broken. I am not bad, I am dead in my sin. And I need a savior. We are called to remember. We remember our sin on Good Friday. We remember the work of a Savior on Good Friday, and we remember our desperate state without a Savior. But that was Friday. Your pastor's going to continue this story because y'all Sunday's coming. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come up, and uh, he's going to lead us in a time of communion and We know God wants to finish the story, but he needs to meet you in your sinful place right now. Y'all, you're you're not Friday people. Y'all are Sunday people. Thank you for that word, Matt. (coughs) The um, (coughs) act of coming to the table to partake of Jesus' body and blood is, is an act of our will, is it not? No one here is forcing anybody to come. It's a decision to come and partake of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a way, it is a physical way, uh, God's given us the opportunity to say yes to the offer of Christ's death on the cross. It's, it's a way of saying, yes, I receive Christ's payment for my sin. Yes, I want that. Yes, I need that. And so each time we come to communion, uh, there, you know, there's a, there's a chance if we celebrate communion uh, frequently for it to become kind of a road, kind of like a traditional kind of part of communion. We, in our church, it happens in the middle of the service. Then the kids go off to, you know, church, and it just becomes, it can become a rote thing. But quite honestly, when you think about it, you think about the meaning of, the, of this table and, and, and the gift of it by Christ our Lord, it is a sacred moment. It's a moment of decision. It's a moment of admittance on our part uh, that we need a Savior once again. I'm going with daily, Matt, maybe even hourly. I need a Savior. And so we want to give you that opportunity tonight. It's strange to me when it comes to communion a couple years back, we hesitated about doing communion in the service because there's so many different theologies about it and didn't want to insult anybody and all that kind of thing. But it's interesting that uh, the most meaningful parts of the kingdom, those most meaningful gifts that Jesus has given to his church, become the flashpoints of controversy. 
Why? Because he wants you to the table. He wants all of us to the table together. And when there's the, the waves of uh, adversity, you can guarantee that those waves are actually a good sign that the thing behind the wave is a very powerful, sacred thing. And so tonight we're going to celebrate communion, and I thought Pastor Matt was going to seal my thunder when he started talking about 1 Corinthians, because I want to read another part of that letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians as he instructed them on how to follow Christ. And I'm reading it from the message uh, translation of the scripture. You may read this uh, passage in your own church. It might sound a little different from the version that you hear often, but I thought it was appropriate for tonight. Paul writes, wrote to the Corinthian church these words. Let me go over this with you exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instruction from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he, took, he did the same with the cup. He said, this is a cup of my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and, drink, and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine yourselves, examine your motives, Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. Well, I would say tonight that the cross has spoken. The cross has spoken loud and clear through those who love him dearly and to each one of us. What an incredible thing that God had a plan and his plan was for you and his plan was for me. And here we go. We start this repenting, and he starts this redeeming. We start this responding, and he starts this restoring. We start reaching out, and guess what? God begins to reach in, and he begins to change us. He begins to change us on the inside.